Jesus comes offering a new way to look at things, but it really isn't new. He's not trying to invent anything. He's just providing clarity, context, meaning. Because if you go all the way back to the way things began in the very first place, what you will actually see is that in the very beginning, there was nothing. That the entire universe was formless and void. And then God spoke and he said, let there be light. And God continued to speak. And it is important for us as followers of Jesus, as followers of God, that we understand the value and the importance of God and his word, or light. So he speaks to Adam. And he says, Adam, I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. I want you and Eve to be an example to generations that are to follow. And it was a small word, but it was still a word. And that word began to shed light. And from the very beginning, um, stories of God's interaction with Adam and Eve, I'm sure, carried on for generation after generation after generation. The book of Genesis begins in darkness, but then light soon appears. It's not the full light, but it is light nonetheless, light that people are drawn to and light that people begin to find at least a bit of understanding about who we are made in the image of God. And there came a man, a righteous man named Noah. And God spoke to him, Noah, I'm going to destroy the world because of its wickedness. But I have not given up on them. And God gave Noah some instructions, like light. And not everybody heard it. Not everybody understood it. In fact, only Noah, his wife, and a few were saved. The rest of the world living in darkness as one small family lived in the light. And the flood came and the flood left. And the stories continued of God speaking, of light coming into the world. And by the way, we're only in Genesis chapter 12. And God said to a man named Abram, Abram, I want you to go to a place that I have for you. And God spoke to Abram, and it wasn't like God gave Abram everything. He said, I want you to stand, and I want you to go. And Abram wandered as he followed the Lord of light. And God said to him, and I will make your descendants as many as the stars in the sky. And I'm sure in the darkness, as Abraham looked up, he remembered the story of God speaking to Adam and God speaking to Noah and lives being challenged and judgments coming, but lives being saved and God's purposes continuing. And now Abraham has that light. He has that word that came from God above. And yet, I just can't help but think and right now, this really helps me to experience that although light came, 
most lived in darkness. Oh, sure, there were rumors of light. There were rumors of what God said and what God had promised to Adam and to Noah and to Abram. But it is still far more of the few being graced with God's word. And then the children of Israel had just these stories, these very small but powerful stories, maybe light that existed the closer you got to it. Stories of God's faithfulness and God's promise. But 400 years of living in the wrong land can bring a lot of darkness. And God brings them up out of Israel, or out of Egypt. He promises them this land that he swore to their forefather Abraham. And now it appears to be coming. They are in the middle of that journey. You understand? They're in the middle of that journey. And on Mount Sinai, God calls Moses up onto the mountain and he gives them the law. And that law was light. And now the children of Israel have more light than they could have ever imagined. They still have the stories told about Adam and Noah and Abraham. But now all of a sudden they have light. It's strange to think of law as light because we sure don't preach it that way. We talk about law as a bad thing. We talk about law as something that we are saved from. And yet that's not how the Bible talks about the law. I'm talking particularly about the law of Moses. Now, notice that the most of the world, the rest of the world, the, the goyim, the ethne, the nations, those that were not Israelites could only look upon those who had not only the stories of great men and God's interaction with them, but now the law. And God reveals in the law of Moses who he is, his character and his nature, how he is holy and just instead of the nation of Israel groping around in the darkness, trying to figure out what God, their God, Yahweh God, is like. They have light. They have understanding. They, they have something from outside of their context breathing explanation and meaning and purpose and light into their existence. I think I could function like this. Sure is a lot better than that. And so now do you see why the nation of Israel looked at the nations that lived in darkness and saw the wonderful light that God had given them and said, aren't we blessed? Aren't we, shouldn't we be grateful for what God has done for us in revealing the truth about who he is? Not just words to a man or to a family, but now to a nation. Can you understand why they said things like Psalm 18, verse 28? For it is you, speaking of Yahweh, who light my lamp. For the Lord my God lightens my darkness. Describing God, particularly his word to them, his word particularly through the law. Psalm 43, verse 3. Send out your light and your truth, let them lead me. 
Because life in darkness is not the life that God ever intended. No, we grope around, we stumble, we trip. We become increasingly frustrated. Now you might be able to even see why the outside nations were to look at Israel, that one nation chosen by God, not because they were great, but because he dared to speak and he dared to shine the law that was light to them. And now you can begin to understand why the Bible even records other nations, Rahab, other nations wanting to come in and to be a part of the light. Can I be included? And the people of Israel from way back in their earliest times were reminded that you, Israel, will be light to the Gentiles, that you, Israel, will be a light to those living in darkness as you follow my ways and as you live in the light. But strangely enough, the people of God, hear me, the people of God chose to climb down from their privileged place and walk in darkness Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word, like your word, written by the psalmist, this would be describing like the law. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't like walking in darkness. I need your revelation. I want your revelation. God, will you light my path? And so occasionally, people who have then wandered off to live in darkness, away from God, would see the light and they would return to it. And after the exile, they understood that not only was the law intended to be light, a place in which you really can function rather well, but it was more than that. The law wasn't just light, the law was life. See, I don't understand how, as preachers, we've done such a terrible job explaining how beautiful and good the law is because the texts describe it as wonderful, to be honest with you. The texts describe it as a beautiful thing. Deuteronomy 30, 15 does not have what most preachers and teachers today like to describe, but here is how the Bible describes the law as life. It says, see, God speaking, I have set before you today life and good in the law, death and evil for those that choose to disobey the law. So it isn't just light by which to function. It is the breath, it is the life that we function through. Romans, if you think it's just an Old Testament issue, Romans, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, listen to this. So the law is holy. It's a beautiful word. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Doesn't sound like the law is a bad thing. Actually sounds like the law is a pretty amazing thing. You know all those books and, and chapters that you just fly through so that you can experience the goodness of Jesus? There's a lot there. Did you know that a lot of the understand, a lot of the misunderstanding that you have about God and the world and family and life 
are encapsulated in those pages described as light and life as God intended it for the children of Israel. And we just skip over it. And we miss it. So the Sermon on the Mount, it's hard to get a real feel for what's going on. It feels like many times when I'm reading the Sermon on the Mount, it's like I'm sitting in darkness. Jesus is describing a world that I really don't know, that I really can't understand, even when it is spoken well. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I'm not come to abolish them. For I tell you that not even the smallest little stroke of a pen, not even the smallest little bit of it, will ever be taken away. Why? Because to Jesus, it is light, and to Jesus, it is life. So let me be clear. The law is a beautiful thing. The law of Moses is a beautiful thing. Do not rob it of its essence. To do so is to misunderstand and to misappreciate the goodness of God speaking light into darkness and greater light into darkness. But the law is not enough. Ah, see, that's the difference. I don't need to make the law look bad. I just need to understand what it was designed for. The law is not enough. Paul says this in Romans chapter three, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified or made right or declared holy or declared just or declared forgiven by the works of the law, which was light and life. No human being will be justified in his, speaking of God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, which is a really helpful thing. Like, I'm really grateful that I, I know from the law just what God's character is like, and not only that, but in the light of the law, I see my own shadow. And I can recognize what is missing in me, that, that the goodness of the law can be hard to look at because of the brokenness in me, but the law itself doesn't fix the problem. And so when Jesus enters the stage, when Jesus begins to speak now to a nation living in the light of the patriarchs and the greater light of the law, he comes preaching that the law is good and the law is wonderful and it has its place. But Jesus would agree with Paul, but that no one was ever justified through obeying the law. Romans chapter three, verse 28, Paul continues. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But what Paul is pointing at is that Adam and Noah and Abraham were never righteous because of the things that they did, but that God chose to speak to them, and they lived this life in response to God's grace by faith. And that the children of Israel, whenever they got it right, it wasn't that they were obeying the law and therefore got it right, but they understood that this law itself was a means of grace 
and that they trust this light that had been given to them by faith. That's Paul's point in Romans. That the law is nothing new. It is this incredible gift by God, but it was never intended to be the final statement from God. So the law is light, and the law is life. And as wonderful as it is, I mean, for those of you in the back row, can't you admit, it's not enough. Can't even take notes. But Jesus is light and life and enough. I don't need to make, I don't need to make the law look bad to make Jesus look good. Did you know that? Like, I don't need to tear it down and rip it up and say, oh yeah, this thing is terrible. No, it's actually quite amazing that God still spoke. There, there are times in my life I kind of wish I were one of these guys. There's times I, I kind of, it would have been fun, I think, to live during that moment in time when God spoke from Mount, how many of you have wondered, oh, wouldn't it be great to have been there after Mount Sinai to see the walking through the Red Sea? Oh, wouldn't that have been incredible? And yet, for those of us now who live in full light, see, this is the way that God intended it. And he used, and he used, and he used, and he used so that we could all know what it means to live in light. Jesus is light. Jesus is life. And Jesus is, in fact, enough. Now, for notes through which you can now take. Are you ready for this? Follow me on this journey through the Gospels as Jesus describes the fullness of who he is. But do not tear down, do not remove the goodness that he is kind of carrying himself against. He is talking about how wonderful the law is. Don't take it away, don't remove it, but see Jesus as casting a shadow upon the light itself. Jesus casting his tremendous presence as the way that God always ultimately intended. John chapter eight, verse 12, makes sense to me. When Jesus says in John's gospel, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Wow. Because Jesus before, and, and he w- they would have known this, in Jesus' day as he talks about being light, probably one of the most common places they would go would be the law, would be God's previous words and instruction. Like, isn't that what light is? And Jesus says, well, really, no. Like, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows my, I know you think the law is good, but really, isn't it amazing how the law just kind of pales in comparison to the light of Jesus? And Jesus is offering a completely different way of seeing the law, not by tearing it down, but by boldly teaching the truth about who he is. Now, now the Jews might say, listen, Jesus, like I know you think you're a bright light, and I know you think you got a lot to offer, but, but it seems like you're in competition with the law. John chapter five, verses 39 and 40, Jesus addresses that particularly. He says this to those who would rather just live on a lighted stage with the rest of the nations in darkness. Jesus says this to Jews 
who are pleased with the light, that in some spe- it was never intended by God to be limited to them, but they limited it them to themselves, in sense being disobedient to the light that they had been given. And Jesus says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. See, they believed life in the law. You think that you, you search them because you think in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me so that you might have life. See, Jesus points out that really you, you aren't as infatuated with God, you got excited with the lights. Like you weren't really after the heart of God, you just kind of liked living and, and, and kind of even looking around and laughing at those who were walking in darkness, which really fails to understand or appreciate the one who makes light possible. And Jesus says that you, you search the scriptures because you think just in the scriptures themselves that you have life. But the truth is those same scriptures shine light on who I am. They point at me. They draw your attention to me. Because why? Because I, and we already know he is saying this in the Sermon on the Mount, I, being God, being the son of God, am the one who provided those, and they draw the right attention back on me. And yet you refuse to come to me. You you, you decide to put blinders on. You decide to try to find a dark place from which to live. And therefore, you do not have the life that these point to, because they all point to me. Jesus is light and Jesus is life. And for those people, and it's interesting, I, I still run across these people from time to time that are far more pleased with going back and, and they spend too much time, if it's guilty of most of us, for ignoring the beautiful texts of scripture from the Old Testament. There are a few that love it at the expense of Jesus. There are a few that are still looking and wandering and groping around in darkness for a life that comes through the law, that comes through just the teachings of the Old Testament. There is something that can be deceitfully satisfying in just trying to follow the basic rules and laws and then patting ourselves on the back and saying, aren't I a good boy? So Jesus points out again in John 5 to the fact that there will come a day where the author of light and life will bear judgment on those of us who live in that life and light. Jesus says to those Jewish religious leaders who are, can you turn the lights down? They're screaming. Turn off the main lights. I just want these. Jesus says this. There is one who accuses you Moses, (laughs) now that would have scared any Jew. Who's going to accuse me? No, 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 no. We're siding with Moses against you, Jesus. And Jesus says, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, which they claim that they did in the Sermon on the Mount, they claim that they're following Moses, that they've got the rules figured out, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you ever believe my words? 
I love that text because it holds up the beautiful way in which God has continually spoke and yet with such incredible power, Jesus draws his greatest attention to this truth. You heard it quoted to you this morning, Matthew chapter five, verse 17. This is a good one for us to live in in a day and in an age where we love to tear down law so that we can lift up grace. That is a not biblical perspective by any means. You don't tear down law to lift up grace, but you recognize law in the light of grace. You recognize the goodness of God and the standards of God in light of the fact that even when we don't measure up, he didn't give up, he didn't give up, he didn't give up, he didn't give up, he never gives up. Why? Because his plan will be fulfilled. His plan will be accomplished. For we all fall short of the glory of God. But God in his goodness justifies those who believe in the one who said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. That's a way of describing the entire Old Testament. Do not think that I've come to abolish them. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And that is Jesus who who walks into the room and, and you literally, you don't have to make everyone else look bad to make him look good. I don't have to tear down anybody to make Jesus look good. Jesus can walk into the most incredibly well-talented room and just shine. Jesus walks onto the scene of those others who claim to be prophets and messengers. And Jesus comes in and reveals himself as creator God himself. The Bible teaches that everything was made by him and through him and for him. For without him, nothing was made. That he is the firstborn of all creation and he is the firstborn from among the dead. do, Do you realize that as the children of Israel stood on the mount and Jesus preached to them, it might look like this is one of those Moses moments right here beside the Sea of Galilee and Jesus speaking kind of like Moses to the children of Israel, but one greater than Moses is speaking for Moses promised him. Moses, by the grace of God and the words of God, promised that one day he would come and now Jesus is there speaking words of light and life. Not against those words spoken in the past. Not in competition with words previously spoken by God, but in concert with those. Jesus is now properly, like Israel should have always done, inviting people into that light. Inviting people into that perspective, that, that truth about God and about their own brokenness. Jesus offering, in the very beginning, this, this wonderful blessing. And blessed are those who, it's almost like an invitation, isn't it? Don't you read those verses and recognize that even though he's not commanding us to do that, I want to be those things. I, I want to inherit the king. I want to be, I want these things. How do I do it? And Jesus Christ himself, 
more than the words that he said. Jesus Christ himself, his identity, his purpose. This is why Jesus is more than a teacher. This is why what happened on those dangerous encounters in which he was tempted why it mattered that he didn't just relate that truth to us, that he didn't just teach us about how to avoid temptation, but that he himself proved victorious over temptation. Because without it, without the victory of Jesus, without the person of Jesus dying on a cross, then our most righteous acts are not even candles in a dark universe. But Jesus enters into the equation. Jesus enters into your circumstances. Jesus enters into your understanding of life and light. And he gives you a perspective that nobody else gives. I find it fascinating that the Apostle Paul more, more than anyone else that I can really think of, even more than the disciples, um, even more than any of the other people who come to faith, that the Apostle Paul himself understands what he had and what he has. The Apostle Paul is, is someone who, who knew what it was like to live by the light of the law, to live by the light of the patriarchs, and to do so with such just devotion and dedication. And yet when the full lights come on, he just has to stop and wonder, did I have anything at all? Did I have anything at all that really mattered? Here are some verses of scripture I challenge you to look at, to underline, and maybe even to memorize so that you can quote someday, should I preach from the book of Philippians and I need you. Philippians chapter three, verses seven through 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says about all the many lights that exist in his life. The Apostle Paul says, but whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. You know what that gain is? If you just look at the previous verses, he's talking about all of the, the strict all the, all the rules that he followed from the, from the first set of laws that were given through Moses, that he was circumcised on the right day, that he followed the laws of God impeccably. And he says, you know what, all of that mattered, all of that made a difference. And he says, and whatever was credited to me by the things that I did in obedience to what God has said, whatever I have gained, I now count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as a loss. Now, by the way, don't, don't think like he counts all of his stuff and all of his, no, that's not what he's talking about. L let me remove from the table right now. When looking at Philippians 3, he's not talking about living sacrificially for the gospel or the cause of God. That's another kind of sacrifice that we will talk about on another day. What, what he's talking about here is the kind of, 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 of gain or loss that we might think that we have where we can stand before God and say, look what I did. It, it's not just this, you know, these, these few things, I've given up my car, or I've given up my family, or I've given up my retirement. It's not those things. It's actually that when I sacrifice those things, I can now stand before God and go, but look at how good I am. Look at what I've done for you. It's that. The Apostle Paul looks back on his life and thinks of all the things that he, have, he had done 
to somehow merit God's love, God's favor, God's grace. Hear that. What he has done to merit in himself God's grace. And we all have a list. I know you do. Because when you die and I do your funeral, or Paul Weiss does your funeral, and I ask your family about you, they're gonna start talking about all the good things that you've done. They do, all the time. Let me tell you how great my dad was. Let me tell you, that's the list. That's the list. That you think, that I think somehow when I stand before God, it's the funeral list. What will the funeral list be? That somehow you believe in the light of the father of all lights. You can shed a little more light on him. Add a little more goodness to that. That is what the apostle Paul is talking about leaving behind. Not the things, but by sacrificing those things, oh, what a good girl or what a good boy you are. Indeed, he says, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, meaning all those previous ways in which I lived, and I now count them as rubbish. And by the way, that word is not strong enough. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or obedience to the law or living in that light, but that which comes through faith in Christ, faith in Jesus, and what Jesus accomplished for us. The righteousness, this is kind of this faith that we have in Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. There's no better way of explaining this, that when you meet God, and I know your family's gonna be behind you going, tell them about all the good things you did. Remember your funeral? Tell them about that one good thing you did. Tell them about you were a good mom. Tell them the good mom story. He loves, God loves good mom stories. Tell them about how you were a great employee. You never missed a day. Tell them, tell them, tell them about, remember that one year you went by and there was the Salvation Army guy ringing the bell and you put in a buck 80? Remember that one? Tell them that one. Or uh, tell them that they devoted like a, a library to your name somewhere. Tell them that you, you left your family that lived in Canada. Tell them that story. That'll impress them. no. All we have, listen, all we have in the light of Jesus is what he has done for us. And it depends on our faith in that. That is the kind of righteousness that he is describing. Our righteousness comes through faith in Jesus. It is that kind of righteousness that depends on faith. In verse 10, that I may know him and know what he's done for me. So know that when Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. Therefore, I want you to follow me and I want you to know my words and I want you to obey my words. I want you to experience the life that I have for you. I want to know him, Paul says, and the power of his resurrection and may share also in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. The apostle Paul offers a completely different way of being a good person. And he recognizes in light of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, 
There's nothing more to be said. For Jesus himself has given the final word. No, Jesus himself has given himself as the final word. Do you know him? Like, do you know him? Do you know what it's like to live in the darkness of your own good deeds? To be banking on, even at the back of your mind, somehow that you can just be good enough, that you can just somehow be religious enough or devoted enough, that somehow your intentions or your goodness will somehow add to the account that God has you registered for in heaven? Or do you know the truth? That lines up with God's word spoken to us through the patriarchs. That lines up perfectly with God's word spoken through the law. And that finds its ultimate fulfillment only in Jesus Christ. He is the one that we preach about. He is the one that we are calling you to. Not some rules or regulations, but him. So I'm going to ask you, like, do you know him? And have you let go completely of your way of somehow gaining for yourself right standing with God apart from him? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your light that comes in many and various ways. And I thank you for the fact that even when it seemed like light, many live in darkness. And the truth is that God, one of the reasons why we are called to go to Ghana and um, Stillwater across the street and around the world is because the light that we experience in this room is not experienced everywhere. It's just not. Now, all of a sudden, God, I, I see an even clearer demonstration why you say to us that we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. And you do not take a light and, and cover it up. We are like a city on a hill that gives out light. And Father, the only reason why we do any of that is because of Jesus in us. So God, I ask for forgiveness for those ways and times in which I have misspoken about your wonderful law. But God, may I never, ever, may we never, ever be guilty of undervaluing or not appreciating Jesus for the light and the life that he is. In his name we praise your wonderful works and in your name or his name we claim peace with you. And everybody said, Amen. I asked everybody to say amen, and you may have said it. It literally means, so let it be. I hope you meant that. I hope that when I said, and God, we, we, we give you Jesus as our claim, and you said amen, let it be, that that wasn't just a amen. But you were going, yeah, that's me. If it's not you, and I, I tell you this, I don't believe that it is all of us. If you want to continue to talk about what it means to have the light, the light that sheds light on darkness, which is Jesus, we would sure love to talk to you about that.
There'll be people, men and women, down front. God bless, we love you, and we will see you Wednesday.